Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Welcome in to a solo edition of Full Slate. That's right, Greg Frank on my own today as I take you through the college basketball slate. That's pretty much all I'm giving out today on this Full Slate. Uh, recording late Friday night, I will have one NBA play on today's podcast as well. Uh, But obviously, Saturdays in the winter, when we hit the new calendar year, are all about college hoops. We will soon be into what I like to call the month of Joe Lenardi, and that, of course, is February as we begin to break down the bubble and who's going where as far as seeding and start to think about Uh, who needs what in conference tournaments. So it is a uh, very fun time of year in college basketball, fast approaching. And I think also, uh, just just from a gambling standpoint, uh, I don't know, I don't have any real stories to back this, just a theory of mine that sportsbooks have to at least consider uh, some more public action and just things that aren't as... factored in necessarily uh, when it comes to these games. And I'll get to that more in some of my handicaps here because I do think there are some games that are kind of sharp square-esque 
which I want to talk about. But you think about where we're at in the sports calendar now. We have one more football game. I don't count the Pro Bowl. Sorry. I'm a degenerate gambler, but I'm not betting the Pro Bowl this weekend. Uh, we have the Super Bowl next weekend. And then the entire sports world will shift its focus to college basketball. So I do think that it's worth looking an eye, keeping an eye on again. I don't have any strong you know, stories. I'm not friends with any odds makers, uh, but just something that I'm thinking happens as we hit the Super Bowl in college basketball when it comes to the lines. Sometimes you're going to see some prices and some numbers be a little bit manipulated. Just a theory on my end. I think the big example of this is the bubble and how you can see point taxes applied to bubble teams. Uh, so if you want to bet bubble teams, uh, you're better off doing it sooner rather than later. But I'm going to get started now with my picks, and I am going to start in the Big Ten where I do think we are seeing, and uh, Matt talked a little bit about this, and he got the better of me uh, with Rutgers earlier in the week. Uh, I think we're starting to see the trend of Home teams in the Big Ten becoming a little expensive and overpriced, uh, and I think we have an example of that today. As I said, I uh, lost by the hook on a max play on Iowa on Wednesday night, minus 5.5. They win 85-80 over Rutgers, uh, and you know, I think we're seeing that again in the game today in Ann Arbor, where we have the... Illinois fighting Illini traveling to Michigan. Illinois is a three and a half point dog in this game. Total of 140, uh, but I'm interested in the Illinois side and I will take them plus the points here, catching the three and a half. I think a lot of what we're seeing with Michigan is reality, right? Like a little bit of a reality check with Jawan Howard, first year coach. Isaiah Livers has not been playing for them. And the Big Ten is very deep. And if you're going through a cold stretch the way Michigan is, lost four out of five, three and eight against the number dating all the way back to December the 1st, where they started five and two against the spread. If you're going through a bad stretch, this is not the conference where you're just going to have a layup game to get you back in the win column. Sure enough, we're seeing an Illinois team under Brad Underwood begin to really make some strides collectively as a program, right? And, I mean, for those my age, you might remember the Illinois teams that were really good under Bruce Weber in the early parts of the 2000s. But we really haven't seen Illinois do much since. And now in the third year under Brad Underwood, a guy who rebuilt Stephen F. Austin, then had a cup of coffee at Oklahoma State, got to the NCAA tournament with the Cowboys, uh, and then left the Pokes to come to Champaign, Illinois. He's beginning to turn this program around, and I think that the Illinois Fighting Illini are being a little disrespected here, catching this many points. Uh, I will take them. I wouldn't be surprised if they won this game outright. They've already won games on the road in the Big Ten. As I said, a conference that has been tricky to win on the road in. Illinois has won in Madison against the Wisconsin Badgers and in West Lafayette against the Purdue Boilermakers. So there's no reason to me why they can't win outright in Ann Arbor. 8-2 and two against the spread in the last 10 are the Fighting Illini. They beat Michigan by 9 points back in Illinois when Michigan was the number 5 team in the country. 
And I mentioned Isaiah Livers probably not playing in this game. If he does, very limited for Michigan. If he's not out there, I cannot get to the window with Michigan. And I'm speaking all, as someone that lost on Michigan earlier in the week. I had Michigan minus the points against Penn State, mainly because I wasn't necessarily buying Penn State. And so I was kind of playing the trend on the Big Ten home teams. But as I said, I think that trend is getting a little expensive. And without a experienced junior in Livers, I cannot lay points with Michigan today against an Illinois team that I think is legit. So I know just from a system standpoint, I love to play unranked favorites at home against ranked teams the way we have here. But Michigan is an unranked team that is trending completely in the wrong direction. And they better get it together sooner rather than later because, as I said, the losses can pile up in the Big Ten fast, and that's what's been happening with Michigan. And I think Illinois is legit. I'll take Illinois plus 3.5 for my first play on this college basketball Saturday. I want to keep things moving, uh, and I will go to Lawrence, Kansas, for my next play, uh, and we're going to go to Fog Allen Fieldhouse, where it's the Kansas Jayhawks as a huge 14-point favorite against the Tennessee Volunteers, total of 125.5 in this one. As I'm recording it, I don't see a first-half line out right now on my book. I imagine that I am going to guess 8, 8.5, maybe 9, uh, as far as a first-half number that Kansas is going to lay, and that is what I'm interested in here situational handicap here when you have Kansas coming off of the brawl against Kansas State, right? And what were we all saying? Or, or what was the focus on the Kansas program was not a good one. And, and ditto for Kansas State. I mean, the everything, anytime you have that kind of thing happen, right? You know, we saw it in the NFL with, uh, to a much, on a much more national scale, Miles Garrett and, and Mason Rudolph on Thursday Night Football. But anytime you have a big brawl, or, you know, an, an altercation that gets attention away from the game. Well, then, the final score in the game almost becomes irrelevant as far as what people are talking about. And with a program like Kansas, it only adds to that, right? Where this is, you know, a blue blood program. Bill Self's been there forever. You think about what's going on or what went on in the preseason with that Kansas program. You know, people that didn't really like the things that were going on in Kansas before probably aren't too fond of what happened uh, with this brawl. So, uh, obviously a lot of things extracurricular have happened. We'll just leave it at that with the Kansas program in the last six months. But the players that got suspended for Kansas, uh, Silvio D'Souza and David McCormick, are combined, combining, I should say, to average 10 points per game. So, it's not like they lost guys that really move the point spreads here. And, therefore, I look at this and I say, alright, well, everyone that does play for Kansas, everyone that is the reason why they're a big favorite in this game, I think they get pretty fired up to beat the doors off Tennessee, an unranked team who 
lost quite a bit, obviously, from last year's team under Rick Barnes. And, and I think that this ends up being a pretty convincing win for Kansas. However, anytime you have a big dog like this, I'm always hesitant, or a big line like this, I'm always hesitant to lay this kind of number, especially in college basketball, where you might have walk-ons playing in the final five minutes of the game, which I think further lends itself towards, you know, faulty outcomes, backdoor covers, things that don't really have anything to do with the final score in the game as far as the teams are concerned. But obviously, as gamblers, we're always concerned about the margin of victory. So I'm much more inclined to play Kansas on the first half because I think you're going to get a Jayhawks team that is just ready to move on. And as I said, they lost a couple of players that really aren't that impactful for them in the scheme of things. Kansas in the first half, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, we know how tough of a place it is to play. Uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge going on all across the land today. I'll have a couple more picks there. Uh, but as far as Kansas, uh, it's just a motivational, uh, fired up, you know, intangible ploy handicap base for me uh, in this game. And so I will take Kansas in the first half. My buy price, I estimated it 8-9. They'd be laying. I'll call 10 my buy price. So I would not play beyond 10 on the first half line, but I can't see it getting much higher than that. We're going to get back to the SEC Big 12 Challenge in a minute, but I do want to backtrack a little bit as far as the uh, chronological uh, nature here and go back to another game that tips off in the 12 noon Eastern window, as well as Michigan and Illinois. Uh, this will be a quicker one. Obviously, I don't have as much on CAA basketball, but I do want to look to the Colonial Athletic Association, where I am interested in Northeastern minus the 7.5 against Delaware. This is very similar to a play that I won. I took Northeastern minus the 8.5 against Drexel on Thursday night, and Ironically enough, uh, this is now 7.5, and, and Delaware also played in the CAA on Thursday. They were playing Hofstra. Uh, and anyway, Northeastern won the game uh, going away. It wasn't even close against North against uh, Drexel, excuse me, covered the 8.5 with ease. And now we have a Delaware team coming in. And you know, by the way, keep an eye on this conference, whoever wins it. Uh, this conference has produced... Some teams that are sneaky double-digit seeds. UNC Wilmington was a trendy dog a couple years ago when they lost to Virginia. Um, William & Mary looks to be pretty legit. Uh, Hofstra's good. A buddy of mine went to Delaware. He said he thinks uh, Hofstra is the best team in the Colonial Athletic Association. Uh, College of Charleston, we've seen them be in that 12-13 range. So just whoever wins this league, I think, could be live for an upset uh, in the first round of the big dance. So all of that said, we see now Northeastern, who I don't think is going to win this league. They did win it last year, though. Northeastern is 11-9 overall, 5-3 in the Colonial. And Delaware is actually 14-7 overall and 4-4 four four in the Colonial. So when you look at that line, 
or look at those records, just by looking at that, you would think that we would see a three or a four point line here for Northeastern, right? Because when Northeastern played Drexel, and this is why I liked Northeastern on Thursday, Northeastern was, as I just said, hovering around 500. Drexel on the year is 12 and 9 and 5 and 3 in the Colonial. That's after the loss to Northeastern on Thursday. The line was eight and a half. Like, I don't understand why Northeastern lays this kind of number, but that's why I lay it. Because those are the favorites I like is when the dog just feels too easy. And I mentioned my buddy of mine that went to Delaware. They had a big win, Delaware did, winning outright at Hofstra on Thursday night. So naturally, you're gonna I'm going to look to fade teams off those kinds of wins anyway. And then when I see, again, where the numbers don't really make sense as to why Northeastern is favored by this much again, well, I'm going to lay the points again with Northeastern. Moving right along, three games down on the College Hardwood, three to go. I do have a couple spots that I'm eyeing up in the NBA, which I'll get to at the end of the pod, uh, but I want to just keep the college basketball picks rolling in, hopefully the winners as well. I'm the Atlanta Coast Conference, where obviously it has not been a good year for the ACC, and that's well documented. Um, but I do want to look at one of the teams that is actually very good this year in the SEC, and uh, I'm not interested in the side, however, in this game, but it's the Florida State Seminoles hosting the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, uh, and we're seeing Florida State as eight-point chalk in an evening game here, 8 o'clock Eastern, this game tips, total of 142.5, and that is what I'm interested in. I like it under the 142.5. Here's what I'm seeing. You have a Notre Dame team that is not very good. I mean, let's just be honest. They just lost to Syracuse as a four-point favorite the other night, uh, and they did win at Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech's really not much of anything. They hung right with Louisville in South Bend, but Louisville was able to pull the game out earlier in January. Lost at NC State, did Notre Dame. But one of the things that I'm seeing in these games that Notre Dame has played, and no, I am not taking Notre Dame plus the eight, but they have been in a lot of close games. 84-82 they lost on Wednesday against Syracuse. Game before that, 78-74 they lose to Georgia Tech. Lose by three to Louisville. Lose by five at NC State. Win by one in the Carrier Dome in the beginning of January. So they've been in a lot of close games in ACC play. And I think the only way that Notre Dame can have a prayer here is to keep this game low scoring. And one of the things I really like in why I think they can keep it low scoring Notre Dame on the year, I'll give Mike Bray credit, he definitely has his teams buttoned up, and whether they're just not good enough is another story, but they're not, they're going to protect the basketball and value the possession. Notre Dame is number one in the nation in fewest turnovers per game. So that tells me, if I'm Notre Dame going into this game, I want to slow the game down, and I want to execute in the half-court offense, knowing that my team is not going to turn the ball over that much. And then take my chances from there. 
So we know that totals are all about pace. And if I'm interested in this total, it's under because I do think Notre Dame, and I am interested in the total, it's, I do think Notre Dame is going to come out and try and slow this thing down. So I would look towards the under, and I do like it under 142.5 for the full game. And I would, if you want to play this under in the first half, and I probably will make it a full stack when the first half total comes out, as long as the number kind of lines up with me. But as far as the full game is concerned, I like this under 142.5. Just from a pace perspective, I think it is clear that if Notre Dame has a chance here, I know that they scored 82 points against Syracuse, but if Notre Dame wants to win this game or keep it close, they need to keep it low scoring. It needs to be a lot more like their game against Louisville, which they lost 67-64, as I said. But obviously, you do the math there. That's 131 points. Uh, if we get something similar, then we have some nice wiggle room on under 142.5. Only reason why I'm not taking the 8 here is because when we look at some of the better competition that Notre Dame has played, namely at Maryland in the non-conference, I believe that was an ACC Big Ten Challenge game, Maryland won 72-51. And I know it was the first game of the season, but North Carolina beat Notre Dame by 11. And as the days go on, that looks like even more and more of a bad loss by Notre Dame with how bad the Tar Heels are this year. So I'm not interested in the side, but I do like under 142 and a half in Florida State and Notre Dame. I want to keep things moving now, and I'm going to get back to the AC, uh, I'm sorry, the Big 12 SEC Challenge, where... This goes back to a point that I made at the beginning of the podcast where I think we're seeing beginning this Saturday, right? Because this is the first weekend in sports where you're, you, you are reminded of what's coming as far as no football and college basketball begins to take center stage. And therefore, I think we start to see some more public action on certain sides. And I think these last two picks, I think, are... Definite, sharp, square divides. And ironically enough, both of the, uh, I think the square side here is the underdog. So I like both short favorites. I'm going to start with Texas Tech minus four against Kentucky. And I think obviously you talk about the Wildcats brand program, blue blood program. This time of year, your average Joe is going to wake up and see, oh, wow, Kentucky's getting four points. Texas Tech, I know they made the Final Four this year, but Kentucky's ahead of Texas Tech in the AP poll. Wrong team's favored. Well, I'm not so sure. Texas Tech, we know Chris Beard is going to lock you down defensively. That's kind of been their hallmark the last couple of seasons. Texas Tech, 25th in the nation in opponent points per game allowed. And... Then when we look at Kentucky, there is no lottery pick. It doesn't look like on this team right now. There is no John Wall. There is no DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis. Name your favorite Calipari player. There really isn't that difference maker. And so if they don't have that, then I wonder about them in this environment. And how do some of those kids... I think we can start to just treat Kentucky more and more like the rest of college basketball in this sense, where you're going on the road against a team that went to the Final Four last year and 
yes, Texas Tech's going to have big games in the Big 12, but this is one of, if not the biggest games of the year for Texas Tech. And I think we have, I mentioned Chris Beard and his kind of defensive acumen. I think we have a little bit of an in-game coaching mismatch here. Listen, John Calipari can certainly recruit, and we've seen him get a lot of, you know, five-star players, obviously put guys in the NBA. But we've also seen John Calipari in a lot of big games. And I know this isn't an NCAA tournament game, but he's been outcoached by Bruce Pearl last year in the tournament. Bruce Weber the year before that, I thought, really did a better job um, in the guts of the game. As Kansas State upset Kentucky in the Sweet 16. And, you know, Kentucky, you go back the year before, they had the Malik Monk, the Aaron Fox backcourt. That team lost a close game in North Carolina in the Elite Eight. They haven't been to the Final Four now since the Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker undefeated team that ultimately lost to Wisconsin. So, I just don't think that they are, They we need to respect them the same way as that kind of blue blood program that I'm talking about. And so, for that reason, I look at Texas Tech here in a non-conference spot as the team that is engaged for 40 minutes and treats this like an NCAA tournament game. And I do think that this is sort of correlated with Texas Tech in the under, but I'm not... The 132 is not exactly a high total, so I'm not sure that the number really lines up for me to play the game under. But I do like the Texas Tech side. Uh, guns up. I think that they'll be engaged and the home court advantage will come into play here. And in a tight game, Chris Beard, I think, will get the better of John Calipari. I'll lay the four with Texas Tech. Uh, and speaking of uh, low scoring, I've kind of hinted at Texas Tech being such a good defensive team. So if you want to look Kentucky team total under, I think that makes an awful lot of sense as well. Lastly, this is my favorite play of college basketball Saturday, and I am going to Gainesville, Florida, where I love, love, love the Florida side in this game against the Waco, um, the team from Waco, and that is the Baylor Bears. We're seeing Florida as a short favorite. Uh, Two-point chalk are the Gators' total in this game of 131.5, and, and I do think this is a side and total correlation. I'll start about talking about the side, though, and this is a Florida team I was very high on coming into the year. I picked them to win the SEC, a team that I thought if you wanted to bet to win the national championship in the preseason, that would have made sense as well. And yes, they have disappointed to a certain extent uh, so far this college basketball season, but there's a ways to go. Just finished talking about Kentucky. Florida's going to have a big game against Kentucky in February uh, at Rupp Arena. Uh, but sticking to what we've already seen, I think we saw Florida last week, and I had them. This was an unranked favorite over a ranked team. I had them against Auburn, and what did we see? Uh, Florida really dominated that game in Gainesville, uh, and they were right there, covered the number against LSU on 
Tuesday night in Baton Rouge. And now they come back home. Mike White, another coach that I think is already kind of left his mark on that program, getting to a regional final not that long ago. Uh, and he did lose it to South Carolina. But I think this is a Florida program that's about to get hot. And as I said, they were a team that maybe underachieved early on in the year. But let's not forget, early on in the year, Florida played some big-time non-conference games uh, against a Butler team that has proven to be very good. Um, And they played Florida State in the non-conference, of course, an in-state rivalry game. So I think that as the season progresses, Florida's going to get better and better. And that's because their best player is a transfer, Kerry Blackshear, who begins to integrate himself more with his teammates uh, and, and their and his raw talent can take over a little bit more. And they crushed Auburn last week. Like, that was a statement game. And I know that LSU won, but Florida was down late in that game and they came back uh, late to sneak through the back door and cover. I think this is a big spot where Florida says to the rest of the country, in an even bigger fashion than it did last week against an Auburn team that went to the Final Four, where they beat them by 22. I think in an even bigger fashion, Auburn says, don't forget about, or I'm sorry, Florida says, don't forget about us. We are one of the best teams in the SEC, and we're going to be a team that you're going to have to keep an eye on throughout February and into March. I love the way this lines up for Florida. And then you look at Baylor, and listen, Scott Drew has done a very good job in his time with this program, but how often do we think about Baylor as one of the best teams in the country? How often do we look at Baylor as the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament? Not very often, right? Normally, Baylor is that team that three, four, five seed, you know, the one year they lost to Yale in a 5-12 game. You know, normally, that's who they are. And sometimes they make a run. Sometimes they'll get to the second weekend. Other times, they'll get upset. You think about the shot from R.J. Hunter, Georgia State, 314 upset over Baylor. So, they're they're never bad, right? But are they ever this good? Are they ever top five material? And so, for the upperclassmen at Baylor, I wonder how some of those guys handle what comes with that number in front of your name. And... When I look at Baylor just collectively, they beat you with defense, right? Like they don't have, Jared Butler's having a good year, but they don't really have a lot of guys that can score the basketball. And the reason they are where they are is because they're fifth in the nation in opponent points per game. And this is why I think the Florida side is correlated to the over. Because if you like Florida, and let's look at Florida recently, as I said, they had that win where they scored 69 points against Auburn. Well, they just scored 82 against LSU, 71 in a victory against Ole Miss, 75 in a loss against Missouri, 81 in a win against South Carolina, went over the century mark in a win over Alabama. So clearly, if Florida is to win this game, then I think you're going to see the Gators score at least 70 points. And at a total of 131.5, do I think that Baylor can compensate and get me another 62. I think that's very possible, and therefore, I love 
Florida. Max play on them at home. Again, statement here to the rest of the country that they are that team that got a lot of hype preseason. And then a little bit of a trend. Obviously not much of a sample size here. But this is the fourth time in the last 25 seasons that an unranked team is favored over the number one ranked team in the country in Baylor. The unranked team won two of the previous three. The last time it happened was in 2015-2016. Iowa beat number one Michigan State. Spotlines up. Good home, good home court advantage for Florida in Gainesville. Love the Gators minus the short number. I'll lay the two. Max play. I love the over as well. If Florida wins, this is going to be a faster game. They're going to be able to score on Baylor, and Baylor is not going to be able to keep up. Florida and the over. Uh, final two picks in college basketball for me. I lastly just want to talk quickly about a couple of NBA plays. Uh, I like the Dallas Mavericks on the road, catching three and a half. Uh, kind of just betting the trends on this. This is a one-unit play for me. The Dallas Mavericks are six and three against the spread as an as a road underdog this year, and just collectively on the road, we saw them cover, win, and cover on the road on Thursday against Portland. Uh, on the road, if you just blindly bet Dallas in every road game, 13-5-1 against the spread. That's 72% for a cover rate. And then I look at one of the earlier games uh, this week for Dallas, actually. They lost to t- on Tuesday against the Los Angeles Clippers. And they lost that game at home. Dallas is a team that is young and on the rise with Chris Stapps and Luka Doncic. And you think about handicapping the regular season, it's all about motivation, right? Well, I love to play those teams like a Dallas in these kinds of spots. And unfortunately, that meant I lost on Dallas against the Clippers. I, I did like the Mavericks on Tuesday night. But I love to play teams that have something to prove against contenders, right? And that's what the Mavericks are right now. They're fifth in the West. And you look at the rest of the West. We know that the Lakers and LeBron and Anthony Davis, you got to take them seriously. The Clippers are telling you they don't care about certain games when they're sitting Kawhi Leonard. But in others, as we've seen this week against Dallas and last night they beat Miami, they can certainly hold their own. They're the best team in the NBA, I think. Denver is a team that has been a high seed in the West playoffs. Houston, same thing. So you look at the West standings, and Utah as well has at least been in the playoffs the last couple of years. You look at the West standings, and we see Dallas as a team that is legit. They're going to be in the playoffs. But I think teams like this that are kind of new to the party as far as contenders and, and how serious of a contender are the Mavericks remains to be seen. But I like to bet them in the NBA regular season. Because I know that they're going to be fully engaged, fully motivated. And that's really what 95% of handicapping the NBA in the regular season is. So I like Dallas plus the short number on the road against the Utah Jazz team. Hey, if you don't want to step in front of the Jazz, I get it. 17-3 and three straight up at home are the Jazz. 9-1 and one in their last 10. Uh, but if you're telling me I'm going to get more than a possession here, getting 3.5, I think this game probably comes down to the final possession, so I'll take the three and a half points with the Dallas Mavericks. And then I don't have a number, but I can tell you a spot I'll be looking at playing is the Philadelphia 76ers in the first quarter against the Los Angeles Lakers. The Sixers had a couple days to stew over a poor 
second half, namely a bad fourth quarter against the Toronto Raptors. They're coming back home, nationally televised game here against the Lakers. This is an ABC game. And Wells Fargo Center has been an elite home court advantage for the Sixers. Uh, 12-8-2 against the spread. That's hitting 60% if you blindly bet the Sixers against the number uh, straight up at home. The Sixers obviously have been very good as well. They are 20-2 at Wells Fargo Center, and we saw them similar kind of spot, I think at least, to the Christmas Day game where the Sixers annihilated the Milwaukee Bucks, and they came out right from the start and really never looked back in this one. I, I think it's very similar with them stewing over a bad loss, the way they let the game get away against Toronto, and... The Lakers won against the Nets, but they didn't really defend well. And we know, especially even without Joel Embiid, the Sixers and Ben Simmons especially is a special defender. So if I know that the Lakers here at the, they're at the end of an East Coast trip too. Another thing I like to look at when trips are concluding, you know, like to fade those teams at the end of those road trips. Well, as I said, they didn't defend well against the Nets the Lakers, and they won the game 128-113, but Brooklyn got out right away and scored 35 in the first quarter. If you're telling me that I'm going to get that many points scored by the Sixers, then I'm very confident that they're going to have the lead after one quarter. Uh, and, and as I said, I think just the crowd advantage has been very good for the Sixers in these kinds of games, just obviously overall at Wells Fargo Center. Uh, but we saw them earlier in January beat the Boston Celtics in Philadelphia. Uh, they have not lost to the Celtics this year. They beat them in their season opener in Philly. Uh, and, you know, going back just lastly on that Milwaukee game and why I think it is kind of similar. The Sixers did score 38 points in the first quarter of that game, and they came out and they were shooting the ball well. And I know, again, Joel Embiid still out for Philly, uh, but Lakers at the end of a road trip, Sixers off a tough loss to the or to the Raptors, excuse me, coming back home in a place that's treated them very well. No reason to think that they won't get off to a good start and win the first 12 minutes. So I like the Sixers in the first quarter, and I like the Dallas Mavericks plus three and a half against the Utah Jazz for a couple of NBA plays. I'll have Australian Open plays on my card as well. Take a look at my picks at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter. And of course, follow the podcast on Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod on Twitter as well. And I'll even be nice enough, and even though he wasn't with us today, throw Matt a follow at Showtime Cappers and check out all of his picks as well. He's been doing pretty well this week. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Of course, please play responsibly. And I'll be back next week with Matt here on Full Slate. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.